Hello everyone, this is Caleb. Just want to take a quick second to apologize for the delay in this episode and the next episode. I've been on the road and while I thought I had a setup that would work, it didn't necessarily quite work. I also want to take a second to thank all of those who have been listening and downloading. Spoke with Owen and his daughter Leslie the other day. I wanted to give a shout out to Owen. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and I just want to encourage you guys if you would like a way to uh, give back to the podcast um, I would really appreciate a five-star review on iTunes for those of you who don't know it is iTunes that really drives podcasting and their algorithms take a look at those five-star reviews and that's how they suggest the podcast to others so a great way that you could say thanks or that you enjoyed the podcast is by dropping me a five-star review there on iTunes Today we're looking at Ambrose of Milan, his life, his ministry, and his legacy. Thank you so much for joining us here today on History for Normal People. This is Season 1, Church History, Volume 1. Welcome back to History for Normal People. This season one has really been kind of an exploration for us of how a group of followers of this man, Jesus Christ, were able to end up becoming like the most influential institution in the entire world. The last couple weeks were really a big step for us in that process as we saw the church move from a persecuted minority, kind of a grassroots movement, to really become not the official religion of the empire, but sort of the unofficial religion of the Roman Empire. And ultimately it's Constantine the Great, Constantine the First, who's sort of able to do this. Um, And then we see it end with the Council of Nicaea, where there's this growing consensus for the first time over what Orthodox Christian belief is. And so today, we're going to be talking about the life of Ambrose of Milan. So Ambrose of Milan is really going to come into the world in a time when Christianity was already, you know, the accepted religion of the empire. And he's not really that worried about persecution. So he's born in the year 340 BC. He's born into a Roman Christian family. His father was a prominent Roman politician. They're well off. And the world he grew up in was newly friendly to Christianity. So he didn't have first-hand experience with persecution that many of the early church leaders had. So Ambrose didn't intend to go into ministry. As a child, he studied law and rhetoric in preparation for a career in politics. And as a young man, he followed his father into political service. And by 372, at the age of 32, he was appointed the governor of the north-central region of Italy, centered in Milan. So he lived and started his family there in Milan and and served as the governor from there. So during the 350s and the 360s, after the death of Constantine, his son, Constantius II, became a committed Arian and began appointing Arian bishops, promoting Arianism, and really persecuting and exiling Christian leaders who supported the Nicene Creed. 
You might remember our friend Athanasius, who was a strong defender of the Nicene Creed and the Orthodox faith. He was exiled five separate times during um, Constantius's reign. So just a quick refresher about Arianism. Arianism was this belief that the Son of God did not always exist, but was begotten by God in time, and as a creature is subordinate to the Father. So as we learned last week, the Nicene Creed established Trinitarianism, the idea that Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father are fully God, and that they coexist throughout eternity, um, and all contain the attributes and the full essence of God, becomes really the, the orthodox belief of the Christian church. And the reason that this is important, especially as it relates to the Arian controversy, is because it gets to the very essence of the gospel and of salvation. So God died on the cross. Not just a creation of God, not just a good man that God had made, but God himself dies on the cross. Only God could pay for the sins of humanity. This is a central idea and a central truth of Christianity. And if the Arians are, were right, then it's a different gospel and a different God that we serve. So Ambrose was a faithful Christian, and he believed in Nicene Orthodoxy. But Auxentius, the bishop of Milan, while Ambrose was serving there as governor, was an Arian. And there were some uh, controversies and consistent conflicts between Auxentius and those of the Nicene persuasion. So Ambrose was a very successful political leader and very beloved by both sides, really. And he was a mediator between the Orthodox Christians and the Arians while he was a governor. He sided with the Orthodox, but he often showed sympathy for the Arians, Arians as well. And he was respected by both sides. You see, persecution had ended, but infighting and doctrinal disputes had begun. The church, instead of being persecuted, was persecuting itself. As Governor Ambrose tried not to take sides too heavily and to be just to all of his subjects, but something strange happens. Well, Auxentius dies. That's not the strange part. Um, the Christian church is immediately at each other's throats. That's not really the strange part either. Um, the Arians and the Nicenes are fighting about who's going to succeed Auxentius as the, the bishop because obviously that's going to influence church policy for the next you know, foreseeable future. Ambrose, concerned about conflict and maybe even violence breaking out in his city, steps in to encourage peace and unity and gives an impassioned speech. And as he begins to finish his speech calling for this unity, the crowd, and this is where the thing that he wasn't expecting starts to happen, the crowd begins to chant, Ambrose for bishop, Ambrose for bishop. He doesn't want to be bishop. He never had any kind of ideas of becoming a religious leader. But a vote is taken and Ambrose is elected as Bishop of Milan. Ambrose has no formal theological training. He wasn't ordained. He hadn't even been baptized. As we discussed, political leaders at the time often put baptism off until later in life. He was so terrified of being Bishop that he literally ran from the assembly, went to a friend's house, didn't even go to his own house because he was popular, they knew where he lived. He hid for a week at a friend's house until letters from other bishops, the bishop in Rome, the emperor himself, 
come to, to this house encouraging him to accept, and Ambrose ultimately gives in. He is soon after baptized, ordained, and he takes up office in 374, only 34 years of age. He took this post very seriously. He began studying diligently. He was already fluent in Greek, so many of the Alexandrian fathers like Origen and Clement come to influence him profoundly, and he's going to introduce their ideas more broadly into the Latin world. If Arians had hoped that he was going to be passive and tolerant of Arianism as bishop, they were sorely mistaken. As a bishop, he took the purity of the church very seriously, personally and corporately. He didn't see his job as governor uh, as defending the purity of the church, but as bishop, he sees that very clearly and strongly, and he takes it very seriously. Ambrose also took his personal piety very seriously. He took this position that he'd been given as kind of an example and as a teacher, not just of his words, but of the life that he lived uh, to heart. And so he's actually going to end up selling his property, most of his possessions, and giving the proceeds to the poor. He took on an ascetic lifestyle, and he encouraged his congregation to do the same. He used political savvy, um, like somebody like Eusebius used political savvy, but instead of using it to advance himself or to advance the empire, he's going to use it to hold leaders accountable and to advance the cause of the church. With Ambrose, we begin to see the power that a church leader can actually wield over civil authorities. This is really the first time that we see kind of that power that a Christian bishop or a Christian leader can hold over kings and queens. Far from being awed by political power, as someone like Eusebius might have been, Ambrose was responsible for having pagan idols torn out of the Senate in Rome and have helped bring, help him bring about the end of pagan celebrations and festivities in the empire. On several occasions, he even withheld communion from the emperor himself until the emperor publicly repented for actions that he had taken. Now that is some serious power. He refused imperial decrees to allow Arian ministers and congregations to take over Orthodox churches under his leadership. He didn't allow his friendship or the influence that he might have had with the empire to affect how he led the church. He even ultimately excommunicated the empress after she vengefully murdered thousands of citizens in a rage in Thessalonica showing that Ambrose saw his authority as extending beyond merely church affairs, but to personal affairs. He saw the authority of the church extending from the lowest to the greatest in every area of life. So, what were Ambrose's major contributions to the church. I really like Ambrose as a person and as a leader, and I can't say that about every person that we study in church history. There are people who were influential for various reasons, but Ambrose is somebody that I really came to admire as I studied his life. I respect anybody who's consistently principled in their personal and their professional life, especially somebody who has the opportunity to use their position and influence to advance themselves but instead uses that position to advance the cause of Christ, to advance the truth, to advance justice. And in this, Ambrose is clearly a shining example in the early church. Theology, though, is not exactly Ambrose's strong suit. Whereas we have these magisterial works by people like Augustine, which we'll talk about soon, or even 
some of those who influenced Ambrose, like Clement and Origen, that isn't really where Ambrose shone. He was important because of his political ability and because he used it really in the right way. And I think one of the questions we've kind of looked at since last week was how, how can Christians engage in a Christian world? We saw for the first several episodes, the first six episodes, how Christians can, you know, can live in, in a pagan world that oppresses them and persecutes them. And now we have to answer the question, how do they, how do they behave in a world that is Christian? And for our culture, we're kind of in an in-between state of those two things. Again, there's some Christian influence and some not Christian influence. So for Ambrose, his biggest contributions were first in defending and helping to establish the Nicene faith, and second in helping the church find its prophetic voice to speak truth into the cultural establishment. Finally, he's a man responsible for popularizing the idea of the real presence of Christ in the Lord's Supper. And this idea would take deep root in Roman Catholicism uh, and would be very influential in the Middle Ages and all the way to the day to today. Um, obviously, to someone like myself, a Protestant Reformed tradition, this is an idea that I wouldn't necessarily agree with, but it has an idea that has a very important legacy. And we're going to see this issue play out in Protestant churches in season three. Ambrose saw the connection between the Trinity and the full divinity of Jesus and the salvation of sinners and their spiritual growth. And this was really key. It wasn't just a it wasn't just a theological intellectual debate for him. This was a matter of uh, pastoral concern for people's hearts and for people's souls. He wrote, "We were raised because he was lowered. Shame to him was glory to us. He, being God, made flesh his residence, and we in turn are lifted anew from the flesh to God." Nicene Orthodoxy. It's not just a matter of theological debate. It has real implications for salvation and sanctification. And this was an issue that, to Ambrose, was worth fighting for. So what are we as normal Christians able to take away from this story about this one man? What can normal Christians or normal people learn from Ambrose? So Paul, in his letter to Timothy, told, uh, told Timothy to let elders who rule well be held in double honor. If nothing else, I think it's important for us as, as Christians to honor Ambrose for his reluctance to lead, but then his commitment to lead well, his integrity, his charity in his personal life, and his courage in telling the truth to people in power. And whether you're a Christian or not, I think that you can look at someone who's principled and lives their life uh, with integrity and by those principles and kind of respect and admire that. Theologically, there are a couple of things I, I think I don't necessarily like in the teachings of Ambrose, like many of the church fathers. I mean, we see the roots of all of the Christian denominations uh, in the early church fathers. We see debates that would one day be deemed heretical in certain church fathers. We see debates that would be settled. We see beliefs that would come to mark 
um, various Christian groups. And so very few modern Christians are going to be able to look back and see somebody that they agree with completely. But I love that he was a peacemaker who was still willing to fight when it came to issues of supreme importance. I think today we often see people who are either far too passive and that they're not willing to fight about anything. And they don't think that there's anything that's worth closing their fists on and saying, we will not surrender this. But then I think there's also a group of people who are just ready to fight about anything. Whatever, whatever uh, some instigator throws up on Twitter or on some other social media feed, are just ready to get all in an uproar and all frustrated about it. So I think it's important for us in our day to, to learn from someone like Ambrose and say, man, let's have some compassion and some charity. Um, let's not fight over everything. Uh, let's see where we can have some common ground. But at the same time, let's make sure that there are certain things that we are willing to fight to the death over. Um, and we just need to make sure that there's some godly wisdom in knowing what the difference in those things are. Went in with a quote from Ambrose himself. And I think this is a great and inspiring quote, and I wanted to share it with you to end this episode. So it says this, he says this, he says, let your door stand open to receive Jesus. Unlock your soul to him. Offer him a welcome in your mind. And then you will see the riches of simplicity, the treasures of peace, the joy of grace. Throw wide the gate of your heart. Stand before the sun of the everlasting light. Thank you so much for listening to History for Normal People. Hope that if you enjoyed this, that you'll check out some of our additional resources that are available at normalhistory.com. We have a class that you can sign up for that has some readings and some discussion questions that go along with the uh, episodes. And hopefully you will be encouraged by those. And I hope to see you again next week. Thanks so much for listening.